Hello, and welcome to another engaging episode of Cyber Speaks Live, the InfoSec podcast recorded in front of a live online audience, giving you, the community, a voice that can be heard around the world. And now it's time for your host, Duncan Macklin. Hello, everyone. My name is Duncan Macklin. I am InfoSec War on Twitter, and this is yet another episode of Cyber Speaks Live. However, this is a very, very special episode. I am recording this one live from Microsoft Ignite, sitting in their podcasting studios right here in the main expo hall area, full of excitement, great vibes going on. You can just really, when you're walking through, see and feel the electricity of this event. Folks are stoked. This is day one, right? So they are just getting ready. And we're at the tail end of the day where they're just about to start cracking those bottles open, uh, you know, passing around those glasses of wine, having the hors d'oeuvres, and, you know, really just getting into what this is all about. And that's that community experience and being able to connect with individuals that you may meet this year but come 20 years down the road they're still going to be your best friend that's called community and that's why we're doing this show you know we're trying to help build that community and give you guys a voice that can be heard around the world that's why every time we record this you're there participating in a live recording video audio you're but able to participate in the discussion with our guest co-host and with that let me quit wasting time and get right to it we are joined by two excellent gentlemen that i'm actually gonna turn it over and kind of let them introduce themselves and charles i'm gonna start with you charles why don't you introduce yourself and tell us where you come from and what organization you're representing and then we're gonna turn it over to Mark here. Oh, great, thanks. So my name is Charles Burton. I'm a technology director in local government uh, in Louisiana. So um, we serve a community of about 200,000. It's basically, a, it's a county in anywhere else in the United States, but it's a parish in Louisiana. <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, the name of the parish is Calcasieu Parish. Uh, I know it's a little difficult to uh, pronounce. I'm sorry, what was that one again? <laughs> Calcasieu. Calcasieu. Calcasieu Parish, yes. Okay, now what is the major city there? Uh, Lake Charles. So uh, oh, my Lake office Charles. is in Lake Charles. That's a central uh, seat in Calcasieu Parish. So, okay. Yeah. Now is that where a lot of the gambling and such takes place? Sure is. There's a, there's a lot of gambling. Um, but also we've uh, been doing a, doing a lot in the energy area, LNG exports, petrochemical, you know. So there's definitely a diverse economy. You know, in our area, there is a lot going on right now. It really is. Well, and you know, I invited you here because obviously we know from just the headlines. It seems like almost on a weekly basis, one municipality after another, or one you know state and local government agency after another. I, of course, was part of the Sam Sam ransomware outbreak that took place with the city of Atlanta and being part of their incident response team. So I do have some, let's just say, firsthand experience in having to deal with some of the issues that our, our, our municipalities are facing. I definitely want to get into that dialogue with you. But before I do, 
We are also joined by a very distinguished gentleman from Microsoft, who I'm going to also allow him to introduce himself and talk about his roles and responsibilities and what he's doing on a daily basis and kind of what his life looks like. So uh, Mark Simos, uh, lead architect in uh, Microsoft Cybersecurity Solutions Group. So what that translates to in the real world is we write a lot of reference architectures, reference strategies, um, best practices uh, to, to help organizations kind of, uh, as they look across not only Microsoft's capability, but all of their cybersecurity responsibilities, what does good look like? How do I get there? Right. Um, why do I need to do these things that you're asking me to do that are difficult? So really trying to help organizations with those reference, those points of reference so that they can you know, compare, adjust, um, and adopt as needed uh, and, and really kind of just improve their cybersecurity risk management uh, approach. Right, and Mark and I actually connected via LinkedIn initially, mm -hmm. I believe it was, after seeing that Microsoft cybersecurity architecture and <laughs> just how massive, massive it is. And, you know, for myself, we were talking before the show that I've been an MCP since 1997. Mm -hmm. You know, that this isn't my first rodeo. I've been in this game as long as you mm -hmm. and have gone through all the battles. But I've also... I, I kind of look at Microsoft and the systems management and security solutions is kind of, I, I want to say a baby, but almost like a kid brother, you know? <laughs> um, because I, I've been there with SMS 1.1, or excuse me, 1.2 beta. Wow, there's some memories. Yep. And have grown with the entire system center suite. And then of course, as we started seeing things like the uh, ICMU and mm -hmm. SMS 1.2 where oh, yeah. Uh, we first got our glimpse into patch management yep. coming from Microsoft. And then as it evolved with 2007, 2012, where we're at today with Azure and everything that's going on with Intune, I started getting into security around really the 2005 timeframe. Mm -hmm. That's when the feature pack was kind of hitting solid. I was really getting interested. 2006, I became SIS certified and you know just kind of mm -hmm. ran with it from there. But I've been sitting here watching Microsoft grow up and become the, the company that it is today. Mm -hmm. And we're no longer talking the whipping boy that it was in the <laughs> mid-90s. We're not talking about the redheaded stepchild of the early 2000s. We're talking about a company that's going out there and kicking asses and taking names and bringing down $10 billion contracts from the federal government <laughs> to be able to provide protection and defense. Now, I, I am so excited to talk about where you guys are heading because I see the future. I, I heard the keynote this morning. I, I get an idea, mm -hmm. but before I do, you know, we've got to talk about the real problem at hand here, and that's that no matter how good the products are, no matter how great the messaging is, something's failing here, folks, because I cannot pick up a newspaper from one week to the next. I cannot open up Twitter, you know, and look at a data stream without finding one government agency after another that's been hit by some type of ransomware attack or their systems have been pwned or there's been a massive data breach and we've got to figure out what's going on because you know these attacks it seems like you know just take the last six months last year 
in my mindset, we see two types of organizations that have really been strategically targeted with malware, mm. right? First, state and local government going after our municipalities. Now, y'all, I'm from, you know, Texas, and we're prideful people in Texas. Y'all know that. Mm -hmm. But when my own state has 23 municipalities owned in a single day, we got a problem, y'all. Yep. When we have one municipality after another, week after week, nonstop, we're here in the state of Florida. There's been over a million dollars paid in ransomware payments by three different municipalities in the state of Florida. Now, my wife and I, who's sitting right next to me, Carol, say hello. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon from wherever <laughs> you may be listening from. You know, we're living the RV life. Mm -hmm. So right now, we're set up in Ocala, Florida. Guess what? They just got burnt big time. Mm -hmm. You know, yet another municipality hit by ransomware. So, to the tune of seven hundred seven hundred forty-two thousand dollars, three quarters of a million dollars. Now, number one, I, I'm of the mindset that these municipalities—they're also responsible for one of the main services that any municipality provides to their constituents, and that's law enforcement. Am I right? Oh, yes. Okay. So with that in mind, essentially, our law enforcement is paying criminals for their criminal activity when we send that ransom payment every single time that happens. T Tweaksbury PD, uh, Baltimore, Atlanta, they all had their police department systems compromised as part of these ransomware infections. And yet... You know, in the majority of the cases, they're, you know, hopefully going to be refusing the payment. That's not seeming to be the case here lately, though. Here lately, it seems like I see not only the municipalities, but other institutions or industries and verticals just taking the easy way out and trying to pay that ransom. Now, the other, remember, I did say there's two types of organizations that I see being hit by these ransomwares mm -hmm. here lately. State and local government, so our municipalities, and then the other being healthcare. Mm -hmm. You know, both I find deplorable. You know, when you're taking law enforcement offline, when you're taking fire departments offline, when you're taking people's electricity and water and making it impossible for normal payment systems and all that to work properly. So now people's power and water and other critical services are being shut off. Hospitals. Yeah, yeah. you know, it hits them too. You know, we hope that the hospital systems would have sufficient, you know, generation power to be able to last the recovery effort. And we'll get into recovery, I hope, here shortly. But we have a massive problem when those are the two main categories. I, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I mean, that's what I'm seeing. Do you see anything different? No, it, it really does concern me that these governments, local governments, are, are a soft target. You know, yeah. why have they been a soft target in the last year? Like you said, just all these attacks. It's, it's that those folks that are out there to do wrong, ill will, have found out that, unfortunately, there's a, there's a weak spot there. You know, the, 
There's been a number of years where they've focused on the larger agencies and businesses, maybe, that have deep pockets, you know, and mm -hmm. um, they could, uh, you know, press them for ransomware and things like that. But now they're finding that these smaller targets, these smaller local government agency, agencies are not as adept at protecting themselves or putting in the measures they need for just basic protections. And that, it's concerning. It absolutely is. Yeah. So... Help me understand, though, because my logic, my mind as a constituent, I guess, is I'm sitting here saying, okay, I'm seeing this all the time. Mm -hmm. It's in, on the news. It's in the newspapers. It's in you know, the major websites. You go to Twitter. You go to Facebook, LinkedIn. You can't escape knowing that these things are occurring. These other municipalities have to be noticing this stuff, too. So why is it still happening? What, what is the disconnect? Why are there IT and IT SecOps uh, processes and, and infrastructures so immature? Why, what's, what do we have to change to protect and defend them? I wish I had a perfect answer. <laughs> so um, it's, uh, I, I mean, I can see it in, in our organization, in our area. You know, you, you always, it's always a balance between, you know, the tax dollars that are available to serve the community. And, you right. Know, it's, it's, we need to pick up trash. We need to fix the roads. We need to make sure the parks are working properly. And just all those public services. You've got to balance those, that funds coming in, um, you know, with the, protection and, and mindfulness of the data that and technology that serves those operations, right? So unfortunately, sometimes that security does end up on the chopping block, unfortunately. Um, now, that's, that's the bad side of this. I, I would say that uh, there have been plenty of agencies who have looked at the challenge, you know, and have used the tools that are available through companies like Microsoft and others um, you know, we, we talked about uh, Center, Center for Internet Security, you know, the MSISAC yep. group. Yep. Um, those are great organizations with plenty of tools available. So yeah. it's and finding, many of them yeah. are free. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Finding the right tools that fit in your organization. Um, sometimes it's a, it's a scare that, that that's needed sometimes. I've seen it in countless groups that, do you think uh, it's yeah. just a you know it won't happen to us or our municipality our city our county isn't big enough or we don't have assets worth attacking do you think that's it or do they simply yeah. not have the money not or haven't been educated enough to the risk well that's a, i think that's another perspective as well sometimes it's not about the cost because there are free tools and things that mm -hmm. they can do and resources but i i believe that's a, that your position or your your uh guess there about um uh, it being uh we're not a worthy target you know there's definitely some of that in local government that there's no assets that we have that someone would want or need that type of thing but as we've seen, it's, it's uh, uh, targeting local governments has unfortunately uh, funded some of these, these hackers, unfortunately. They've had to pay the ransom just to get back on their feet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes you could, you could bring in the, uh, the area of discussion around having cybersecurity insurance. 
right you know and, and what that's what that market is doing you know i know my organization has had cybersecurity insurance for a number of years and uh, I, I hope to god we never have to exercise it uh but uh, there's plenty of organizations that don't and uh, that market is just flying yeah know? it's booming yeah but a- anybody listen to this who's considering grabbing themselves a cybersecurity insurance policy, make sure you read every line of that policy because the last thing that you want to do is have that policy, think that you're covered for any kind of cybersecurity incident only to find out that there's these escape clauses for the underwriters based off of a variety of conditions. And I have personally spoken with several organizations that have found themselves with their knickers around their ankles because you know they didn't fully understand or read all the terms and conditions and found themselves out of pocket so all right um you know before we started uh getting ready for today charles you know you had sent me over some items that you thought were you know, things that you guys are doing and that you think other municipalities of your size and probably even larger could benefit from. Um, and looking at the list, I, I cannot argue with a single one. They all make absolutely complete sense. So let's just throw it out there. I'm going to hit, you know, question you with the first one. You know, recent government cyber attacks demonstrated by the local governments unable to keep up with basic patching. Mm-hmm. You know, and this kind of ties into our other guest co-host, Mark, and what is going on. Mark, is it okay if I bring it up at this point? Yeah, okay, sure. So, you know, so Microsoft is working in conjunction with NIST, who is another organization that uh, we got Charles that has also done some stuff with. But, you know, NIST is the... National Institute for Standards and Technology. Yep. And they essentially provide a lot of guidance, primarily for the federal government and all the other agencies, but it's been adopted by the private sector as well. And, you know, these are guidance documents that really talk about how you should handle your security posture. Thankfully, after a lot of work on the back end, Mark and, and some of the other Microsoft cohorts are now uh, working with NIST to be able to produce a you know series eight or eight hundred series guidance document from NIST mm-hmm. around vulnerability management. Yep, it's actually eighteen hundred is the uh, oh eighteen yeah for the the Cyber Center of Excellence, the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, NCCOE. Okay, <laughs> okay, and um, yeah, so it's. It, it, a lot of this work really started, you know, much much like everything else in security, because humans are reactive to problems. They don't necessarily uh, deal with every potential problem. They deal with the ones that have actually been seen and kind of biased towards that. Uh, but in the wake of the the Petya not Petya WannaCrypt um, era, um, there's a lot of frustration by myself personally, others at Microsoft, and others in industry at how could this have happened? You know, especially you know because we've known that we need to patch for you know a good 20, 30 you know plus years. And also there was the, um, especially with the, the NotPetya piece, is that there was already a clear and present danger of the WannaCrypt worm that was, again, re-exploited 
in addition to some Mimikatz automation oh, with NotPetya. And so, you know, why weren't these organizations patched? We really set out to try and answer that question. And so part of that was going out and talking to, to different organizations, you know, uh, primarily large commercial organizations, but, you know, why weren't you patching? And, you know, genuinely, yep. not an accusatory tone, but, you know, what went wrong? You know, what, did you not have political support? Did you not have funding? Were the tools not there? Like, what, was, what were the actual objections? So we learned a lot in that. And we also did a, a lot of reach out to, to NIST and to CIS and to others because we wanted to understand, you know, you guys are sort of in the business of helping, you know, our collective customers and, and you know, how do we help people with this? And so we, the first thing we came out with was, hey, here's a list of how to not be the next not patch a victim. And we all sort of looked at it, worked on it, revised it, finalized it, and then published it and endorsed it. And so that was sort of like the first step of, you know, what are the things? And it's a lot of the common things like uh, have backups, um, patch, don't uh, get rid of some of the old protocols like the SMB that were, you know, 20, 30 years old at the time of the, the patch it piece. Can I jump in there? Please. Ned Pyle. Right, Love Ned, Ned Pyle with Microsoft was really one of the original kind of architects and whatnot around the SMB protocol. Mm -hmm. For years prior to WannaCry and NotPetya, yep. have been urgent folks to please put it to rest. He equated it to taking your grandmother to the prom or <laughs> something on a on a Twitter post. You know, it, it'll work, but it's not going to look right. You know, and, well, it, it didn't, and it ended up catching all of us, you know, with our pants down. And you know, there was so much industry guidance and recommendations and pounding of the tables leading up to WannaCry, and then. Again with NotPetya, and then again with NotPetya, you know, because we kind of had that second wave. Mm -hmm. There was guidance. There were recommendations. People were not listening, and they're still not, and that's why we're on this discussion. Mm -hmm. What is going to change? Why do you think Microsoft working with NIST, mm -hmm. producing this guidance, is going to do a damn thing to change people's actions. So the way that we're thinking about this is we're going to be extremely ambitious as if we're going to solve the whole problem with the expectation we're not going to necessarily solve it, but we're going to put a huge dent in it. So we, we know we are, we're not going to get it all done, but we're going to do as much as we possibly can, and then we're going to continue to iterate. So that's kind of the thinking and the plan. And the first step you know, was sort of realizing, okay, when you talk about landing a best practice, like a, you know, kind of landing a plane, you got to land the why, the what, and the how, right? Like, why is this important? Otherwise, people don't care and they're going to ignore you. What are they actually supposed to do? And then how do they actually do it? Because if you miss any of those, the plane ain't going to land right. It's going to crash. It's just going to crash on a different part of the approach. And so we learned with the, the patching piece, the why and the what were pretty obvious. Like, you got to patch quickly, and this is the reason why. And so for the most part, most organizations had that. The old protocols, not necessarily everyone understood the why or the what. Um, so there were some things where people don't know that this is actually a problem. So th there, there's, it was obviously different per organization. You're talking about individuals. But the thing on the patching specifically was the how is really where a lot of things fell down. And so it, it doesn't mean that that was exclusively and everyone had the same problem. But, you know, when you talk to, okay, what's your enterprise patch management program to all these different organizations, some of them had just started. 
some of them had been doing it for a while, but they only did the stuff that came through Windows Update and you know things like Java, et cetera, like yeah. not even thinking about it. And so there's all these different variations on it, and each one was building it from scratch. And so they, they didn't have a single architecture they were all working with. They didn't have a single set of processes. They didn't even have a single standard of how no quickly framework. to roll them out. And so that was the, one of the big gaps that we noticed. And so that was the first thing that, you know what, through the NIST process of the, you know, following up on that sort of roadmap, what was the first thing that we need to focus on? Patching. You know, we can use the NCCOE process, that Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, to say, let's go in the lab and let's go and build with, you know, the other folks in, uh, that are experienced in industry, the other vendors. Let's l talk about what good looks like, lock that in, and then take these vendors, have them come into the lab, and actually this is how you implement it um, with the Microsoft tools, with um, the Qualys tools, with all the different vendors, so that you can actually have, you know, not only the why and the what piece, but also the how to do it with the different commercially available um, and, you know, open source and whatever types of tools, and actually have that documented end to end. And that way, you know, organizations have a template for a program that looks good. And you can either compare your program to it if you've already got one, or if you don't have one, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to start. So that's the working theory behind it. So right. Charles, uh, I, I want to jump over to you, and, and I know you want to jump in here, yeah. but you had mentioned in your comments to me earlier about the benefits of automation when it comes to patch management. Yes. So playing on what Mark was just saying, do you, do you want to jump in there? And yes, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely, you know, it, I'll start with the, the size of our shop is probably bigger than a lot of the you know smaller uh, local government agencies. Mm -hmm. So we've had the experience, like like you said, Duncan, over you know SMS and configuration manager. You know, move past just what's us mm -hmm. to uh, you know automated patching. We really have a good understanding of where our devices are, um, but we were at that stage where okay, it's still manual, but why don't, you know it's moved to automation. So we we invested the time and effort you know to really use some of Microsoft's latest tools, even some third-party tools, because there are plenty of products out there that end up on your endpoint devices which create those exposures, those attack surfaces. So mm -hmm. we're, we're patching those uh, third-party tools as well. But what I, what I was thinking about as you explained, you know, this, this kind of this framework or this, this plan is that um, how a, a smaller, whether it's a small business or a you know, a small government agency might look at that framework and still not know how to approach it. I guess what I've seen in the field is that if it's a small business, let's say 50 computers or less, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, you typically don't have a management platform or, a, uh, you know, right. even a, a server weren't running with us sometimes. Mm -hmm. When you ask those folks that are, are full-time IT person, maybe that's, maybe that's the threshold I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. You know, what does that, how should that organization respond to something like that? Or how should they respond to this situation where they're not sure about their patching levels? Hmm. You know, I think the novice would say, well, my computers take care of themselves. And that's <laughs> just a hope, right? And the hope is not a plan, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Hope's a four-letter word. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how to answer that, you know. Um, well, you know, can the, can the cloud help? I think so. Yeah. I, think, I think so. Um, smaller agencies may not look to the cloud to solve their, you know, on-premise problems, you know, but... Uh, well, yeah, the unfortunate situation when it comes to organizations of that size and caliber is, you know, they're the ones that if they do have some type of cybersecurity incident, 
they are most likely incapable of recovering from that. They will go out of business. You, you talk to the FBI, they have the statistics to back this up from the IC3 in that of the organizations of that caliber, 60% of them will go out of business within six months of that cybersecurity incident taking place. And you're right, they don't have that IT maturity. They don't have that IT support. They're probably gonna have to depend on some external third party you know, service provider to take care of all their patch management and everything else. But then we end up seeing those types of organizations get pwned and those RMM platforms being targeted for you know malicious payloads and everything else and in fact that was kind of how not pet you got mm-hmm. its payload you know it was introduced into me docs and you know that was this yep. accounting package used by smaller companies you know yep. uh, same things happening right now with the rmm platforms or the remote management mm-hmm. services you know so they're being targeted there's not a good answer i don't think for these guys and, and that pains me because you know i grew up the child of you know a couple parents working their butts off you know with a couple restaurants they were the small business i'm a small business i've been targeted with a a, a type of phishing attack to the tune of eighty seven thousand dollars you know mm-hmm. while we were on holiday in in Port, or Puerto, Puerto Rico. Rico, you know, and thankfully, you know, my staff, my wife, my <laughs> mother, you know, they're well trained, uh, picked up on it. We started stringing the player along for a couple of days while on holiday working with the FBI and the Bank of America's fraud department in the background. You know, I, I really tailed this one out because I figured the more time they're spending with me, the less time they're spending with an unknowing you know, organization of my size. Carol? You know, and you can have all of the systems locked down. You can have all of, you know, your your compliances in place. But if your employees are not properly trained on how to to sniff out these phishing emails, Mm -hmm. you can have, you, you can be Fort Knox. And you're still going to get hit because all it takes is them opening that link. Because the person at the front door let them in. You know, I mean, in just the case of Ocala, Florida, you know, it was, hey, we need you to send us this payment. Not knowing that it was a a, a phishing phishing Attack. attack. And instead of picking up the phone and calling that vendor and saying, hey, I just got this email, but we just paid you. You know, why mm. are you requesting another right. three quarters of a million dollars? Yep. yep. Well, that's gone. So, you know, that's one of the other things that you had pointed out in our prep for this is that end user awareness training is a yeah. big part of your parish's cyber defense. It right? is. It, it's important. You know, you like you, like you just said, you can lock down all the doors, you know, um, but they'll still find a way. And even all the good that we're doing, which I'll kind of explain, but even all the good, we still see, you know, our uh, some of our employees having that conversation back with someone on the other end who that it's not that person, you know, and it's the technology 
or, or a phone call or an email that you're, you're not sure about. So, yes, uh, training is, is absolutely important. You know, you could spend a lot of money, uh, spend a lot of time and resources securing the technology, but if you don't do anything for your employees, it, it's all for naught. Yeah, you know, yeah, completely um, agree. So we have a couple of programs. Uh, we we have uh, some in-person programs where we have a, you know, a monthly or quarterly, you know, discussions with with uh, staff. We have regular, uh, you know, uh, some mandatory video, you know, training, and yeah. then, and then some not mandatory. So we try to have a balance there. Um, you know, you 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 like to get away from the mandatory stuff, even though you make it entertaining and and and. Uh, informative how but do you, you but you but you can't because there's still some compliance i still have to sign off on that you know that insurance or that you know hipaa compliance that says do you train your employees yeah. so i still have to check that box there still has to be some mandatory so how do you yeah. get any participation yeah. in non-mandatory cybersecurity <laughs> education awareness <laughs> training uh, uh what's the secret <laughs> potion there so, okay, so some of it, just as an example, some of it we're doing is more, it's, it's a, like a comic series. Hmm. It, it is literally an entertaining video comic series, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, I've even been made fun of, you know, hey, you know, the, watch, you know, you, you put your cape on, or you're watching that, you know, Superman, or you can put your cape on and come see us, you know, uh, with that last video. Uh, so they, they find it entertaining. So you have to find something that's, not you're not pushing it at them mm -hmm. that they'd be willing to come back we've actually it's been so positive actually we've had employees you know we do it in a once a month we do it in a three-week window we give them three weeks to watch it and then we move on not mandatory but mm -hmm. we've had employees after we started this program because it's a comic series they'll come to us after the three weeks and say i missed it i was on leave how can i get back and get that you know that <laughs> video it was I heard from my coworkers it was <laughs> it was it was fun or it was it was uh, you know it was something they talked about so that's so, one way. So we need the yeah. Walking Dead for <laughs> cybersecurity, right? We we need something that's going to bring them back, or, or maybe Silicon Valley, you mm. know? Uh, maybe we need something that's drama based or comedic that will get their interest in, and keep them hooked on a weekly basis. And I I do know actually of one of the. Cybersecurity awareness training companies that is a Hollywood production. I mean, they're based in Hollywood. They're doing real movie quality video content. I, I'm not going to put them out there. They're not a sponsor of this show, and I'm not throwing them any shine. But we did do a game as well. So we did some kind of gamification too. You know, that, that works with your your technology folks or those that are at least familiar with technology, or maybe you're. You know, folks that are embedded in those departments that have more tech savvy, like, you know, we'll look, come to the department, we'll spend an hour, do a gamification. But it was around cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. Is it escape room type? or Yeah, that kind of thing. Yep. You know, so you form teams, you know, and everybody has their own moniker, their name, you know, and then you yeah. put through these different. It's kind of like a tabletop exercise, but, you know, right. digitally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, cool. it, yeah, we've got a uh, a partner organization based out of Austin that does a lot of that. Uh, Living Security, they're mm -hmm. a great partner with us. We like working with those guys, and uh, I, I just love that whole concept of escape room. You know, mm -hmm. because it does get them not only working as a team or working 
as adversaries sometimes, you know, but it, it does gamify the experience and, and it makes it something that's mindful and resonant within them. Yeah. And Mark, and did you want to add something there? Yeah. The thing that, you know, because my, my big thing is about seven or eight years ago, I sort of start instead of seeing myself as a technologist, I saw myself as a storyteller. And it's been a really enlightening sort of viewpoint because ultimately, in order to change people's minds, which is really what we have to do in cyber, you got to take them on a journey that starts from something familiar, something they know, to a better place that's more secure than they were before, and then then weave that path. And you know, one of the, the great examples, as you're mentioning, your internal training, um, we have this internal thing at Microsoft called Standards of Business Conduct, and they actually you know bring in professional actors, production grade stuff. And it was funny because, like, I actually saw some tweets going out from some of my colleagues saying, hey, the new version of SBC just dropped, you know, <laughs> because they've had this really engaging storyline and they keep the same characters, the same actors, et cetera. And even, uh, it was funny, one of, uh, one of uh, my colleagues was in uh, downtown Seattle and the actor who, you know, works at, you know, a real job, you know, kind of on the side, not a real job, but a different, a different job you know, was like taking pictures with a bunch of Microsoft employees. <laughs> They're like, dude, I met him. I met the dude from the from our series. And so That's like the great. more that you engage them in it, the more that you connect them with it, whether it's an escape room type of story where they're sort of literally in it or whether they can empathize with the characters, the more that people feel themselves a part of it, the more that they feel the humanity of not only the defenders, but also the a attackers that, hey, this is just like a criminal is targeting me. The more that you can put yourself in those positions and think about, okay, what would it do to raise my cost of attack, to, to, re to reduce my return on an attack, the things that would be frustrating to me as an attacker? The more that we can get people to sort of empathize that this is just like criminal work, this is just like someone breaking into a house, this is just like someone that's running a scam, it's just being done over computers, the more that you can connect that with the real world and relate it, um, the more that we see like defenders get better at their job and, and yeah. you know, users and, and, and other members of the organization connect you know, kind of emotionally. Having those that. conversations at the water cooler and the coffee, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it helps. It, it really it does, it yeah. It helps it resonate. It helps it hit home and ultimately makes them a stronger fighter in this battle. Yeah. And, and that's what we need. We need more blue teamers who are actually the ones who are out there dealing with these challenges and being hit on every single day. You know, Charles... Talk to me about some of the things that you have done as an organization to help raise the level of awareness when it comes to the confidentiality and integrity of handling data, you know, because that's one of the other things that we have to concern ourselves. You know, obviously we have these payload droppers and we have these phishing attempts and everything. But sometimes it's just a means of being able to get inside of that organization, land and expand, make those lateral movements, have their privilege escalations because they're looking for something of value. And we know now that data is the most valuable commodity on the planet. You know? uh, what are you guys doing as a municipality? If you were sitting down with the parish next to you, what would you recommend you know, as ways or, or things that you've done to improve that whole CIA triad, the confidentiality and the integrity and the availability of that information and protecting your constituents in the process? It's a good question. I, like you said, I'm going to give you my perspective. I don't have a good uh, perspective across, you know, the local government industry. I 
uh, you know, just just from my perception of right. what we're doing. Um, it's when when you deal with your uh, your government agency, just uh, you know, whether it's calling them to help, you know, figure out the lost cat, or if it's uh, you know, three one one or two one one. Yeah, it could be uh, just you know, there's a street light out, or you know, um, you know, for the your local government going through its daily business, we do collect information from the public, and uh, we, we sometimes it's sensitive. It is, you know, our our government should be open you know, to the things that we do and how we're trying to serve the community. So there's there's a balance there. We've got to mm-hmm. be open because we serve the community. But there's some information we collect which is private. Yeah. So 911 calls, I mean, a perfect example. Absolutely. You know, the, they may share the metrics and, and the data around, you know, to try to predict, predict crime and protect certain communities. or But the, the details, that's the part that, uh, you know, you have to protect. So... Mm-hmm. That type of data exists in almost every one of our departments, even even the animal services. Yeah. Um, it's it, it just different degrees uh, of, of those departments. So what we do is instead of uh, trying to leverage from a technology perspective, instead of trying to leverage a tool, you know, um, or, you know, do a drill and kill, you know, two-hour training, what we're trying to do is um, help the department's leadership understand their sensitive data understand what it is, what it looks like, and then help them, and sometimes this unfortunately is tough to connect, is to help them understand that they are, um, they're the owners of that data. Yeah. Mm. That, that they're responsible for it. It's not IT or some other person in leadership role. They're receiving that sensitive data from the public so that they need to use it to, to complete their mission, you know, mm-hmm. to serve the public, but they, they need to protect it. So. Some of the ways, and I'll have to say, we use a number of Microsoft tools that work really good in this scenario. Hmm. Um, because we, we Pleased do. to hear that. <laughs> I'm sure. As Same. we're here yes. at the Microsoft you know, yeah. Ignite, uh, we use a number of good tools. So we're, we're using you know, Office 365 and uh, Azure. And, uh, you know, so. Uh, information protection. We're yeah. using some of the information protection tools. So nice. obviously protects our identities. But when it comes to information, uh, you know, we use some DLP sensors, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to like SharePoint or OneDrive. And uh, our, our employees are sharing the data, you know, doing, completing their jobs and, and serving the public. But whenever they, uh, you know, go to share something, which is sensitive, it can be classified in some way. Uh, our Microsoft sensors, which we've configured to do such, mm-hmm. uh, set off a trigger or an alert. And we bring that to them and, you know, their supervisor to have a discussion. Mm. Uh, I've never seen a situation where it's punitive. So that's, that's the Good. first part. Um, educational. It's educational. Right. We're having a conversation about this data that you're working with, you're collaborating, you're sharing. It's either with a coworker or an outside agency or a vendor mm. or a community partner to try and work on a project. So it's, it's still about a conversation. And I will say... When we got into uh, our DLP uh, signaling, probably, you don't hold me to it, about, about two or three years ago, we started with some typical rules around sensitive data, you know, your, your HIPAA, our uh, social security numbers, health, and, and, and then uh, banking information. We started looking for those alerts and signals. We watched it for a while to make sure that it was true and accurate, mm-hmm. which it was, oh, and yeah. it's, it's improved over time. But then we started sending those alerts to those departments and those individuals, and uh, 
the the amount of signals we're getting has reduced considerably. Mm. You know, we would when we would you bring it down to that level, yeah. you you almost expect that because now they own it. And they don't want to keep getting these tickets. They don't want to keep being the owner of these tickets. They don't want to keep having the conversations with their management. So, of course, it, it kind of enforces it because now it's not IT's walking over and beating a. We own this. It's on us. I love that approach. I really do. Um, Mark, obviously, Charles was talking about consuming some of the Microsoft products mm-hmm. and you know, I'm a huge advocate of what you guys are doing in Azure and everything around cloud security. You know, can you talk with us for just a minute about what Microsoft is doing and what you kind of see as the company's immediate futures around things like identity and access and information protection. I know that's a lot mm-hmm. to throw at you in one question <laughs> because there's a lot of uh, a lot of, you know, wood to chop there, but you know, it all plays together in Azure is that center point for all these technologies. So what's going on there? And, and what makes Microsoft the kind of partner that you are today and why organizations really need to take a stronger look at you as a cyber company. Yes, absolutely. And uh, one, of the, one of the interesting things, you know, you were mentioning the history earlier. Um, I'm, I've been at Microsoft almost 20 years and it was weird for me to start saying I've been at Microsoft in the teens of years to 20. That was a psychological shift for me. Um, but in that time, you know, as you said, we've matured significantly in it. And it's been interesting because a lot of customers sort of didn't pay attention to us. A lot of organizations didn't um, in the security space. And then all of a sudden, we're putting a billion dollars a year sustained over several years and still are into security R&D. And, you know, there's the fruits of that in terms of products, which I'll talk about in just a moment, capabilities. But it's, it's always funny to sort of walk people through that journey of, yeah, they used to be the whipping boy, but now they're ahead of so many of the things that you're used to. And it's, it's really been an interesting thing to take people on that journey. And you know, the big thing that we do focus on very heavily is in the identity space, as, as you mentioned, because that's, you know, that's ultimately, that's the edge of your environment. That's the edge yep. of your company, your, your state, your city, is how far do your identities, your authorization allow the data go. Uh, much more so than the network once was a proxy for it. Now the identity is a proxy for it. It's not perfect, but it's, it's the best proxy we have. And, you know, MFA or passwordless is our number one recommendation in almost all cases like that. You've got to get to the point where it's not just something that can be copied on anybody's devices and copied off of a database. You can't have passwords be your front line. You have to have multi-factor that's rooted in hardware, that's rooted in biometrics. It's got strong factors. That's yeah. that's the number it, one recommendation. Can, can I extend on that before you continue? Yeah. Because, you know, I was hitting on this on my presentation earlier today. You know, if you're out there and you're listening, you're most likely in cybersecurity, which means you're also in the role within your organization. Ladies and gentlemen, there's absolutely no excuse in this day and age for you to have administrator accounts on your network that do not have 2FA enabled. Absolutely. Yeah, admins today, don't question it, don't think, don't just do it today. And then immediately the next step is start planning for every user 100%. Yep. Exactly. I mean, that's that's your that's your front line. And then, you know, there's a lot of directions you could go from there, sticking with the identity track, moving into, you know, kind of working your way into a zero trust strategy, which 
Um, there's a, a great um, a comment that I, uh, that um, Dr. Chase Cunningham of, uh, of Forrester made in a, in a CISO summit that we had recently, which is that it's like really the first formal strategy we've had in cybersecurity because it's been very organic up until now. And so I thought that was a very clarifying comment. And, you know, as you move down the road, you know, in identity and all these other places, you know, the identity is, okay, let's go ahead and verify that this user is who they say they are, MFA being the strongest signal. There's other ones like, hey, did this user do impossible travel, et cetera. Um, but there's also device signal. Is this device compromised? Is it managed or is it some random device we've never seen before? You know, and really, you know, bringing those risk factors into your decision through something like a conditional access, extremely powerful. And then, you know, the way we think about information protection or the way that I think about it is sort of like kind of a, a levels. Like you want to have this minimum base level for everybody, for every piece of data that it's an MFA authenticated user and you've gone through the basic conditional access. That's kind of the border of your enterprise. But then you're going to have some super sensitive things that are different. Right. It's not the cafeteria menu. This yep. is actually PII or, you know, corporate secrets in the case of a commercial and, and various other pieces. And then you want to kind of elevate that small subset to a higher level protection that's encrypted all the time. It's phoning home for the keys. It's running through an extra authentication step on it. And that's really sort of that next level yeah. up. And then, of course, you can have you know, further sensitive subsets. But really, you know, I kind of think of that as like you set a base for everyone. And then you have the subset that we're going to do extra around this because, you know what, this could hurt our citizens, our customers, or it could hurt us. Um, particularly, and so that's that's kind of the way we sort of think of the staging within information protection. That's interesting because I'm just sitting here listening, and at the same time, kind of going through kind of the CIS top twenty in my head, and I'm thinking so many different things that you guys are hitting on now. And I just gave that talk. I guess that's kind of why it, it's so forefront in my mind. But really, you talked about this as well, Charles that, you know, adopting these frameworks and, you know, looking at things like NIST and COVID and CIS, you know, organizations of any size, any caliber, doesn't matter what industry you're in, these guidelines, these recommendations, especially what's coming from CIS, because this is essentially grassroots. It's folks just like you and I that are talking and listening, uh, various industries and verticals that are represented all participating on a global scale to help protect and defend these organizations mm -hmm. and coming up with these frameworks and, and mindsets for us to operate from. And, you know, if we could just start there and start incorporating some of those and looking at the ways that products like Microsoft and, you know, a slew of other vendors kind of fit in as you have those needs, that will help you get further along that journey but you know you can't just take a product and throw it at the wall and hope that it sticks and mm -hmm. you're now cyber safe right? right it is a framework it is a journey and we're all a part of this so with that um charles i'm going to give you any closing comments anything that you would like to convey across in, in the hopes that it will resonate well with someone who's listening um well, I, I did want to just mention one thing on your, uh, Alan, yours, is that uh, we now think of Microsoft as a security company. I mean, it's such it's come such a long way. It's been, I've been on such a journey. I know myself and my staff, I mean, it, it's more than just an operating system. It's yeah. more than just an identity management. Mm. It's, it's a security platform. So mm -hmm. um, that's, it's like you said, it's, it has it's been on a journey, but has now changed to a security. So 
when we use these frameworks, you know, the, the frameworks, we try to apply them best we can, NIST and COBIT and all the others that we need to, um, we'll, we'll use those Microsoft tools for the most time. But mm -hmm. I'm sorry, so just to wrap, um, I think there are resources out there for local government agencies. There's plenty of them, you know, Homeland Security, uh, MSISAC, uh, you know, just, it's, it just takes a little time to find the right resources and you can put them to play, you know, put them to use, you know, in your government organization to, uh, you know, protect all the assets you have, which is really community assets. It really belongs to the public. Yeah, you know what? It's really what it is. Let's get their attention. Can you give a couple examples? Let's just say from CIS, right? Because I, I, I know a slew of them, but, you know, from your own experience, there's lots of tools and resources that they can go to the website right now, cisecurity.org. You know, what kind of things are available to them that they may not be aware? Of? Yeah, there's 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 a there's a plethora <laughs> of them. Uh, some simple ones that we've taken advantage of. They're painless. You know, you can uh, ask for the uh, CIS. Uh, you know, to do a simple uh, you know third party uh, vulnerability scan. Yeah. You know, there's that's a really simple, no cost. You know, having someone else assess your, your internet security, you can have them do it monthly, and they'll provide you with a detailed report only for you. It's very private. So that's, that's a simple tool. Um, we also use their baselining tools. Thank you. The I'm so glad you do. <laughs> their SysCat tools are fantastic. Yeah. You know, it applies all those, it, it, it applies by all those frameworks, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it stands apart than our other infrastructure solutions so that we can evaluate it from another perspective, make sure that all the security controls that we're putting in place are actually doing what we expect them to do. Yeah, and there is a pro version, and that does get a little bit expensive for organizations, but even just downloading the compliance baselines and, and looking at those and going through them and identifying where you potentially have security vulnerabilities in your gold image that you're sitting out there deploying. Uh, I loved being able to, back in the day, when you could take the security compliance manager product export those Microsoft baselines and suck them into SCCM and be mm -hmm. able to target a collection and see real quickly where you're off base. Can't do it anymore, but Microsoft fills the gap, you know, comparably mm -hmm. with their security compliance. Um, well, the secure score capabilities, um, yeah, our big yes. one, the Azure Security Center. We've, we've kind of brought it out through different means now, yep. yeah. Right, and, and you know, also having group policy templates and everything else yep. that you can build your gold image from. So there's ways, you know, mm -hmm. it, to be able to do it. Um, so yeah, you know, CIS is a great organization. Like I said, it's grassroots. It's folks just like you and I that are out there making this stuff happen. Uh, it also is obviously, you know, subscription based for some of the more pro professional kind of things. But, you know, ultimately it's just, you know, folks, trying to make the world more secure and uh, protected. Mark, any uh, closing comments from the Microsoft side of the house? Anything you want to leave yeah. listeners with? A couple thoughts. Um, you know, I completely agree with the frameworks because you need to have a deliberate approach, a deliberate strategy. This is what we're thinking about. You know, recognize that these risks are not, you know, I, I like the way I like to think of it is there's no such thing as a security risk. There's only a risk to your business, your organization, or your people's life safety, right? Ultimately, that's what risk is. Cybersecurity is just one of the sources you have to manage. Fire, fraud, there's a whole bunch of other ones, and you got to really look across those and make sure that the right people that own that risk are getting it. And the you know, security people, 
you know, like to be smart and in control of things, but ultimately your job is to be an advisor to the people that own it. And sometimes people don't even know they own it. And so love that top-down view. You need to have it. That's yeah. one of the key pieces to be successful in cyber. The other piece is, you know, sometimes very hard to map to it, but it's the bottom up. Like, how do I make sure that the technology I'm picking has got security built in? I don't want to have to deal with integrating that because that's a waste of everyone's time. Yeah. And that's, that's why Microsoft is investing so much in building the security into the platform so it's just there. That's the, the, the best way that we can think of. You know, there's always, you know, potentially other ways and we're always interested in hearing it. But the best way we've found is integrate as much security in the platform as possible so that you don't have to have an IT staff in order to run the thing. Um, so we wanted, we're, we're doing our best to put that in there as well. And then, you know, for the organizations that face sophisticated uh, adversaries and need those advanced tools, we also have that as well. Doesn't mean that everybody needs every tool, but we're, we're trying to get as much of that to sandwich the problem and meet in the middle as possible. But it, it, it is a difficult thing, and you have to go both bottom-up and top-down, and those don't you know, immediately map in people's minds. And that's one of the toughest things about cyber, and we just have to keep working at it to kind of find that middle ground and make that, make that all make sense. Yeah, they're giving us the five-minute countdown. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Charles. I appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Mark, I agree with what you were just saying, and I, I want to commend Microsoft for all the advancements that they've made. I also want to say thanks because, you know, one of the things that I am seeing much more frequently, and I'm definitely seeing it here this week at MS Ignite with the content and, and how you guys have carved out uh, some of that, I'm also seeing, to your point about the bottom up, mm -hmm. that there's much more training and awareness with the developing community so that they know how to better code and building security yep. by design, yep. you know, and not retrofitting this stuff in, leaving gaps and, and holes in the process along the way. So you guys are really starting to amp up that message and trying to get it across not only to the IT pros, not only to, you know, IT sec ops, but now IT dev ops. Big and focus area. Yeah. Yep. So thank you very kindly. Now, uh, Charles, again, thank you so much for joining us. I Pleasure. applaud your parish's efforts. Kalashoot? Kalkashoot. Kalkashoot. <laughs> I knew I was going to screw it up. I tried to remember till the end. But uh, Pleasure. I, I truly it. applaud what you guys are doing there. Uh, keep up the great work, and let's just pray that you're not one of the ones in the headline. I, I hope I never have to see right your name again you. unless I'm <laughs> passing through. So, folks, that is it for this week. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Just a couple announcements here. We are with Microsoft Ignite here wrapping up. Microsoft wants to let you know that they are doing a giveaway for a pair of Microsoft Surface earbuds to... 10 lucky listeners now all you have to do is visit https colon slope forward slash forward slash aka dot ms forward slash podcast sweepstakes now that was a damn mouthful let me just give you the short version aka dot ms forward slash podcast sweepstakes case insensitive you have until december 15th so it looks like that's going to make for a nice holiday present for someone. Uh, so again, that's a pair of Microsoft Surface earbuds. And I was he hearing on the way here 
that apparently with the app you can change all the audio acoustics with these earbuds so that's pretty impressive as well ladies and gentlemen this has been another engaging episode of cyber speaks live once again i want to thank our wonderful guests remember stay safe and secure out there thank you for joining us on this episode of cyber speaks live remember to visit our blog at cyberspeaks.com to sign up for our newsletter of upcoming episodes and special guest co-hosts if you'd like to be a guest co-host or sponsor the show, please email us at speakup at cyberspeaks.com. That's all for this week. And as always, stay safe and secure out there.